Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about news of the world today. Yes. Mike's news- choice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to get that clear. What? So, I've been looking forward to this, I guess, since I saw Tom Hanks talk about it on Stephen Colbert, The uh-huh. Late Show. Um, and it sounded interesting. And there'll be spoilers coming up. Yes. We're going to spoil the whole film. Lots and lots of spoilers. It's about this guy in the, the post-Civil War period, 1870, I think it's set, played by Tom Hanks, who goes around the Deep South, Texas, mm. literally reading the news to people, mm. like like almost as a stage show. So for 10 cents a pop, you go there and he reads the newspaper to you. Mm. And I think I got the impression from the interview that this was one of these kind of unknown jobs that we don't we don't know today, but actually was quite widespread. And then I was also reading a, an interview with the novelist on whose book this is based, uh, Paulette Giles, who was saying no such thing. She was saying that uh, a friend of hers said that their great-great-granddad did this, but it was just like this one-off mm. thing. No one else had ever done this. And so she had to kind of invent this whole backstory as to why someone would be doing this. In the film, it's because he used to work for a newspaper place, a a printer went under, and he found that this was a way to make money. Mm. It's kind of an interesting sort of hook, I thought. And so I was looking forward to seeing it. And also it's directed by Paul Greengrass, Mm. who's a director whose films I really like. Mm. And Captain Phillips, which he'd made with Tom Hanks, I thought was cracking. Mm. And then this starts, and immediately I'm thinking it's just cliche after cliche, and then it won me over for a bit, and then it lost me again. Where did it win you over? It won me over when he goes off with the girl, and the shootout starts happening. The shootout, oh. I thought, was a good scene, and the relationship that starts to develop with the girl, I kind of enjoyed. Mm. But it it drops again, and mm. gets, and especially by the end, it gets so saccharine. I think none of it is good enough, <laughs> you know. So I think the the scene that you mentioned, the shootout is interesting. I mean, it's basically these men who want to buy this young girl... 12 years old. 12 years old, as a sex slave, basically, yeah, to, to have their way with her and then to sell her on to so to other people, basically. That's, you know, what's implied. But, you know, it's never made horrific enough or disgusting enough. or mm. And then when they do have that shootout, it's not exciting enough. It's not, like, sharp, you know. Uh, it's not as sharp as it could be, really. No. You know, so... so I mean, you could see where it's coming from, you could see what it's trying to do, and you could also see the various ways in which it's failing. And that's like a summary of the film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, the, the greatest criticism that I could have of the film, I was thinking at one point, this is not even as good as a James Mangold film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because like, I was thinking specifically about 310 to Yuma, which was a remake he mm. did of a film from the 50s, I think. Mm. Um which I rather like 310 to Yuma, but it's a it's, film which has... I've never seen it. It's got a reputation. Yeah. I suppose it's an interesting comparison in that it's a film that really, really relies on its stars, and this is such a star vehicle. Mm. This is all about Tom Hanks. Yes. Um, and 310 to Yuma was all about Russell Crowe and Christian Bale, and mm. then playing off each other. But I think I've said before that I always feel like James Mangold makes a film about 70% as good as it could be. And this has that feel to me that there are... I mean, God, there is... Like I say, it's cliche after cliche after cliche. And when we paused it to go and get a glass of water and we saw there were 40 minutes to go, it's two-hour like, film. <gasps> you, you said, God, 40 minutes. And I said, 
how how many more cliches can there be? Oh, you know, there had already been so many. Well, and there were not, a lot more to come. There were. <laughs> and in principle, I don't have a problem with that if they are done well. And they weren't even that. It is really by the numbers. But I want to ask you, because I can't quite figure it out yet, so maybe you can help. <laughs> what is it about? What's the point of making this movie? Yeah, I was wondering that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking, what am I supposed to feel? And I suppose in some sense, it's kind of obvious what I'm supposed to feel. Um, maybe the question is more, why aren't I? Or... Or why, or why should it be interesting to feel what I'm supposed to feel? Um, I mean, I thought it was going to be initially about a Trump era, mm. you know, thing about about the news and accuracy and reliability and the power, you know, that a reliable press has to move people into action. Or so I thought it was going to be something like that. It turns out not to. I mean, there is an incident about it, mm. but that's yeah. not what the film's about. It's just one incident. You know, I thought then it might be about Trump culture, about, you know, racism and the cultural divisions. And again, it has an episode of the, you know, this white supremacist in the South who's exploiting, you know, blacks and Mexicans whilst trying to eliminate them. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. even that's kind of more implied than told, you know, but that's kind of an episode. And you think, well, how do these episodes build up? Because, you know, the whole film is about or has as a setting a civil war that changed people's lives and that made people feel cursed by God, right? That's the hmm. overall thing. But you think, Tom Hanks is about 40 fucking years too old to be that person, <laughs> right? Yeah? Hmm. Um, you know, when he says at the end, we, we, we never had time to build a family or whatever, you think, you're fucking 65. <laughs> you know, why, why, why have you waited so long? <laughs> right? Like, you know, I mean, I think it would be different if it was like a 35-year-old who'd come after five years of war, a 30-year-old would come after five years of war, and those would be the people, you know, who would be fighting the rich man's war, as they say, not like some 60-year-old guy. I mean, I just, I just kind of didn't get it. I thought, you know, what's, what's the function of the young girl in the film? So, you know, she's somebody whose parents were murdered, and then uh, she was taken over by another tribe, and then they were murdered, you know? So, but, but actually, how are you meant to interpret that character, right? I think you're supposed to say, don't adopt this little girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horror film. She's a curse. <laughs> She's the omen. <laughs> Satan's <Yeah>. child. <laughs> I, I mean, I got the I got the the hook of the kind of question about that little girl because right at the start when you meet her, she's Aryan, right? Blonde haired, blue eyed, and yet she's speaking a Native American tongue. Yes. Um, so you're wondering what is this little girl's story, right? This doesn't make sense. Yes. And that question is answered, and you know it's a mystery solved, but it's and, not answered very well, and it's not <laughs> posited very well, you know, and also like. You know, I think this is like a COVID film in the sense that the guy can't think clearly. You know how with me, like if you're thinking about 35 things at once because like you're not going out and you know, you're, you're, you're on Facebook too much. So your mind is whizzing. And I thought this is like a whizzing film, you know, except like kind of it, it can't get its head sorted. So, you know, there was a lot of elements of the searchers, right, where John Wayne yeah, is on the chase for, I think it's his niece, who is Natalie Wood, who, you know, the, the Indians, the native tribe killed the parents and then they took the, I mean, there is that reference, and actually there's a visual reference, right, of, you know, the, the 
the shot from inside the house or the doorway framing mm-hmm. the outside. I mean, that's a direct searcher's reference. But, you know, again, that's just one element of a film, and then it veers off in, in another direction. So there's like this constant veering off into different things, which are difficult to connect, or at least for me, they're difficult to connect, and which are played at a funereal pace. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, there were things that you knew were coming, then they came, you know, and then they took about 10 times too long right, to tell you what you already knew. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and I thought that was like my, you know, my feelings in watching the film, basically. Yeah, it's. I think it's a film that would like convince someone who doesn't really know that much about movies that it's quite good because it looks like yeah, professionally shot film with beautiful landscape shots and things are quite it's nice. Amber lighting, all that kind of thing. Um, it has a, it has a kind of professional look and feel to it, but actually, it's. Do, it, I don't think it has an original idea in it at all. Maybe apart from that central, you know, reading the news thing as a job. That's kind of interesting. But as you say, it does nothing with it. All that stuff about fake news, um, or the, the, the you know the the links it could be making to fake news and so on, giving people what they want as opposed to what they need. It doesn't really do anything with no. And the things don't play well, right? So that moment where he's basically in this Nazi death camp, except it's buffaloes, <laughs> you know, um, and he's told to read this triumphalist story about, you know, the place. And instead he chooses to read something else, you know, uh, as a liberating thing. About miners uh, yeah. who survive a fire. Yeah, who are exploited by their boss. You know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. kind of signaled so strongly um, you know, hammers you over the head with with its significance. But then dramatically it doesn't make sense. I mean, you are in the middle of nowhere, you've been abducted into this place. Yeah, kind of what, all of a sudden you're going to piss these guys off? They all have guns and you're there with a little girl and completely defenseless? I mean that's just stupid. Like the you know, mm-hmm. the film doesn't give you more of a reason or a way out or a chance to escape or you know, some calculation as to why this would be something you survive, right? I I got that. I mean, I you know, you might be right. It's it's risky what he does, but the story that he tells whips the people up into uh, yeah, know, yeah and you can see why it does. So you I kind of went with it. You can see why the story does, and that's the whole point of the scene. Hmm. But actually, I think dramatically, it needs the film needed to have made you understand. Tom Hanks' choices and the possibilities and at least, you know, a chance of a way out. I mean, if you're going to put yourself in this situation and you're going down with the ship, and actually, how could you go down with the ship with you, there's a little girl that you've got to protect, right? So, yeah, and actually, that's a way of just creating tension, of adding texture and tension to the scene. And the film doesn't do that at all. What do you mean by going down with the ship? Because his intent is to escape. That's what he tries to do. But the film shows you that there's almost no escape, right? They're in the middle of nowhere. Mm. They've been, the, yeah, they've been brought in by this gang. They're now surrounded by all of those people. So what's the way out of that? Well, he tries to get to his horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think you've answered it. <laughs> Yeah. The only thing that I liked about the film, and I don't quite agree with you about the... I mean, I know what you mean, but I don't quite agree with you about the professionalism of it. You know, because actually I think, you know, none of the things are shot in what I would consider an ideal form. So, for example, I hated the beginning where you have these extreme wide-angle shots 
where the uh, edges are distorted, distorted right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's how the film begins. You think, okay, well, what idea of the Western or of 1865 or, yeah, what is this world that it's setting up? You know, is that meant to be significant or poetic or meaningful? You know, that the edges of this world are distorted. Maybe it is, yeah, but I didn't like it and I didn't like the look of it. You know, what I did like later on was you know, all of those sunset scenes with the amber and, yeah, they looked very pretty. But again, I didn't understand what they were meant to signify, you know, really. I mean, you know, is there is a reason, you know, what is the amber light meant to evoke aside from prettiness, right? Like, I didn't get that, yeah, which would be a choice for lighting it that way. So the only thing that I really, really liked was the young girl. Yes, let's get her name up. Helena Zengel. Uh, she's from Berlin, and uh, I think she might have been in one or two things. But this is, yeah, she's been in things in Germany and like music videos and TV films. But this is her international debut. She's got an amazing presence. Uh, she reminded me of um, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence, uh, and you mentioned Emily she... Browning. Yes, but I also mentioned that Emily Browning and Jennifer Lawrence look quite like each other as well. I suppose. Anyway, she's got a very... I mean, she's not only a very beautiful young girl, but she's got this kind of stoic presence. She's got, you know, she's got a real weight. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, she really comes across on screen. It's just someone you look, you look to. And she's got kind of like a stolidness and a severity. Yeah, that, you know, with that beautiful face and so on, makes a real impact. It's, uh, to me, she's the best thing about the film, actually. Hmm. Um, Although the character is quite simple, um, I mean everything in the film really is quite simple. It's, and it's one-dimensional. you know, at some point I just thought, shoot me, really, because there is like this lack of faith in the audience, this over-signaling in this you know incredibly banal and you know, kind of <laughs> way. You know, at the end when Tom Hanks goes to get her back from her uncle. Right, and she's tied. Right, mm. there's a, a moment where the aunt who presumably has allowed all this abuse for the last month, <laughs> right, you know, kind of looks at Tom Hanks and then smiles, right, like, oh, how wonderful that you're taking her away, you're such a good man. And you think, what about you, bitch? Like, <laughs> like yeah. you, you've got this little girl tied up like a dog, and all of a sudden we're supposed to think, you know, Tom Hanks is wonderful because this nice old lady, th- you know, thinks mm. she's wonderful. I mean... It's absurd. (laughs) It's not the only absurdity. No, there are many. (laughs) I don't like films where people who don't speak each other's language... I get get films where they learn each other's language and they have that scene in this where she describes the sky and she uses her word for the sky and for the land and they kind of exchange the words. And I kind of get that. But... There, but there's a lot of kind of very convenient understanding what someone says. He very often is just speaking to her, saying, run, run, hide, stop there. And it's like she understands him? Come on. I don't, I don't like that convenience. It happens a lot in this. Wow. I also really don't like the convenience of um, very early on. He's, you know, They're not communicating at all. And they go to the, the sort of cafe, bar, um, and the owner of the bar comes and sits with them because you know the girl's making a noise. She draws attention to herself. The owner, played by... Um, uh, Elizabeth Marvel mm. comes and sits there and then reveals that she speaks uh, I think it's Kiowa the, uh-huh. um, that's the tribe and that's the language and you know oh, what a 
What a magical coincidence. And how does she know Kira really? Maybe she was abducted yeah. in her youth as well. <laughs> you know, because it's clear they haven't gone there for that reason because Tom Hanks is surprised when she starts speaking the same language. Uh. It's like, it just has to happen at this point in the film because we've had enough mystery with the girl. We need to start learning something about her. And the only way to do that is to have someone speak the language. It's it's pure convenience. I mean, ugh. <laughs> at the end, you know, when uh, the girl chooses to return to Tom Hanks, and you know that they're going to have an embrace, right? Mm. And you know, like, before it happens, that they're going to have an embrace. And then you're watching this m- walk towards the embrace, like, in fucking slow motion. Like, it's taking 25 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so banal. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing about the news that we're decrying it not doing... You know, I also think if it had done that, I probably would have hated it because it would have had such that feeling of, you know, the greatness of the American newsman who brings you the truth. I know, it would have had that. So in a way, I'm glad it failed. I know, but the question really is, like, what is it about? I I kind of, (laughs) I don't get it, right? So the story is about this man who comes from war. I thought for through most of the film that he was returning to his wife, but actually you're told at the end that he knew his wife was dead. Didn't you know that early on? I thought I did. I, well, I didn't know that if she was dead already, because then, you know, what is he returning to? I thought he said fairly early on that she was lost in sand, whatever it was. Okay, well, you know, I'm sure you're right. I'm not disputing it. Yeah. I'm just saying the way I understood it. But, you know, let's say, you know, uh, so it's not clear to me why he's returning to her then. Mm. You know, why is he going back there? He's... You know, he goes into his house, it's all dusty, broken down, whatever. You know, he goes to talk to an old friend, but you actually don't get that closeness either from them. It's not as if he's returning home, right? So, so, Mm. I mean, I presume he goes back to leave his wedding ring. Well, he talks to that friend about it being like a divine punishment that he lost his wife, doesn't he? For the things that he's done in his past that he regrets. You get thing, thing is, this being Tom Hanks, what I've wanted from Tom Hanks in a Western, and I've said this before, is I want to see the villainous thing. Yeah. You know, that's what I, I, I... Because you never get that out of Tom Hanks. And so mm. it kind of... The idea that he could be uh, villainous, it would make sense in the Western because that's, you know, you could have, you know, oh, the guy with the black hat, the guy with the white hat, and they shoot each other and real classic, just goody baddie stuff. That's not at all we get here. What you get here is normal, noble Tom Hanks who has, you know, he has the right idea and he looks after the girl and, you know, he, yeah. he does what's right. But he's playing a, a former Southern captain who obviously fought in the Civil War mm. and, pe- and he, he's able to use the name that he has to, you know, uh, get a favour here and there. People know him. But when he meets the girl right at the start, he meets her having just seen a black guy who's been hanged who's been lynched and there's this look on his face that he knows this is wrong right like he is he is one of the enlightened southerners who knows that racism is bad and so on and so forth he just has a 2020 attitude but he's born in the wrong era or what have you so when he says to his friend at the end right that his wife dying it wasn't you know i think it was was an illness and he says it wasn't an illness it was it was cholera yeah, but he but it meant to be cholera, but but hit the point. He 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 says like, no, it was a punishment, right? Yeah, for the course. bad things I've done in my life. So he's talking about the things that he did as a general and the things that he. I know what you feel like saying is, what were those bad things? Yeah, man? right. Yeah, tell me about it. And so and so, I guess what you're supposed to see is is a chance at a redemption in looking after the girl, and 
you know, bringing her upright and giving her a chance at life that she's not had before. But this is um, how stupid this film is because, <laughs> you know, the, kind of the very first shot that you see, I think, is Tom Hanks is putting his shirt on and the camera lingers over these wounds in his back, mm. right? Like, you know, he's clearly had like an arrow or a shaft or, yeah, he's got like these, these wounds that have healed over, these scars of these big wounds, right? But that's all, right? So if this guy has done such terrible things and if he's just come from a civil war, right? Like I can imagine what horrible things he might have done or might have happened to him. But actually, I think we still need a few more clues from the film. (laughs) And certainly the character would have been more interesting if we saw him damaged psychologically as a result of those things that he did. Mm. But no, he's a saint. So actually that whole argument doesn't make sense. I mean, kind of... Oh no, he has a very shaky hand. He has a very shaky hand, but only... Which comes straight out of Saving (laughs) Private Ryan. (laughs) But only at the end. Yeah. Well, it happened once or twice before then. But but the camera didn't linger on it the way that Spielberg's did in Saving Private Ryan. But you see, I thought the thing about the shaky hand was... He'd just done something traumatic. I don't know whether he'd shot a gun or he'd killed the last mm, person or whatever. Yeah. And his hand was shaking. So you just think, okay, it's shaking because he's nervous. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. It's not, it's not sold properly. Like, he came across to me as, oh, he's old. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're exactly right. Like, the, these, these things are told to you and not actually embodied or expressed fully in the character and in the story. Uh, did you believe in the relationship between Hanks and the girl? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that to me was not the biggest problem, except I, again, you know, I would have, you see, there's a potential there for all kinds of things, right, um, that I think are misjudged. So at the end, in a triumphalist moment, he introduces her as his daughter. He says her name is Joanna Kidd, Mm -hmm. right? So the implication is, you know, that she's now become his daughter, you know, but... I mean, here's a guy who's just lost his wife, who's got no children, right, who's uh, lost his business, uh, who's suffering, you know, from the aftermath of a, of a very horrible war. I mean, and who's old, right? Like, you know, I mean, kind of, so, you know, I would think, like, you know, kind of, you could, you could have shown some things about his own fears. What's the future going to be like for me? You know, kind of, yeah, so it's not just this poor defenseless girl, but also, you know, maybe this poor defenseless girl will provide me with, you know, company and support during my old age or, you know, mm. a kind of a need or a lonely, you know, I mean, you get none of that in this film, really. No. <laughs> uh, um, I, I will defend the um, the shootout sequence, though, because I didn't enjoy that. You're right to say that it's not as good as it could have been. Yes. Um and you know the characters are kind of flat, but the way it uh, uses height advantage and it swaps it around. So at the start, Hanks has some advantage and that he has the height, but there are three of them and only one of him. And then uh, by the end, it turns it around, so he's hiding underneath the rock. The guy's on top, and I like the way that was kind of conceptualised and shot. I, there was mm. some smarts there, some planning that I liked. I uh, although there's no question. I mean, there's no question in your mind about how it's going to go. No. You know, I mean, Tom Hanks is the star, and. This is fairly early on in the film as well. You know that there is no chance that there's something's going to go wrong in this for him. Let's think about it chronologically. So after he meets the girl, mm. what are the conflicts that we see? So first, there's the conflict with the army itself, right? He goes to return the girl, you know, to the army post, and they say no. What's the one after that? I think that might be the um, uh, the rapists. 
So okay, then it's the people who want to buy the girl from her mm. from him, uh, and he refuses that. So you know, there's like a, a, a sexual moral uh, element uh, to that. Then the one after that is after that the uh, the sandstorm. No, uh, the, no. After that, it, a, after that is the white supremacist Buffalo town. Town, yeah. Yeah. After that is the sandstorm with the Indian tribe coming out of the sandstorm. Yeah. Mm. After that, it's family. Yeah. And after that, it's home. I'm just trying to think if there's something you can. I mean, there's extrapolate no from that. <laughs> It did kind of feel like the film is sort of trying to throw everything at these people that they can. And maybe mm. there's an element, of like, like you said, there's, there's a sexual threat at one point and there's a racist threat at one point. Um, to be fair, it's not racist towards them. You know, they're not hated by that guy because of their race. They're white. But they are hated because of their disobedience and their, their it's refusal It's a totalitarian to, place. Right, their refu- refusal to adhere to the big lie in that town. Yeah. And then when it gets to the sandstorm, I guess you could say there's an element of even the weather wants them dead. You know, maybe that's what the film is trying to... Right? <laughs> you know, maybe the film is kind of trying to uh, take these elements fr- from different sort of thematic dimensions and throw them all the characters. Let me tell you, those scenes lack skill, basically, and, and poetry and imagination and everything of the utmost banality. If you think of what someone could do with that sandstorm, right, you know, and then kind of, you know, the Indians on horseback, yeah, that could seem really threatening. It's what they've been escaping, right? Because, you know, there's a suspense thing put there. They know we're here, says the young girl, right? So, like, yeah, I mean, that could have been transformed into something visually, right? Mm. You know, no, it's like, you know, they appear in the most prosaic manner possible as soon as the sandstorm dies down a bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the young girl goes and asks them for what I thought was water, but it ends up being a horse. And they're so nice, they bring the horse over. Mm. Yeah, well, that's nice. <laughs> but it's funny saying at the start, actually, because as soon as it started, I made some comment. I think I said, how much more Tom Hanks could this be very early on? Yes. Um, and you said it's nice to see someone being nice. Well, that's my feeling about Tom Hanks because I actually love Tom Hanks. But it's not a role for him, really. I mean, you know, you were saying he has no threat, which is true of most of Tom Hanks' roles, actually. I've never seen him being threatening. But he's certainly able to bring, like, deep humanity and great humor. I mean, there isn't a laugh and there isn't much tension and there are no laughs. Mm. You know, so what you get is like the dull version of Tom Hanks being nice. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's dull basically in every way, this film. Yeah. So thank you very much, Michael Glass. (laughs) I mean, you know, we can't all be winners. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's what happens. That's what happens occasionally. Blame Tom Hanks, frankly, for making the film sound interesting on Colbert. I do want to say how bad I think uh, Paul Greengrass's direction is. Greengrass. Greengrass. You know, there's that moment at the beginning where you see, you know, it's almost like uh, one, of, one of the early shots where the camera sweeps in behind him mm. and then does this twirl and then stops in front of, you know, Tom Hanks' face, yeah? So he's walking, I think, somewhere, mm. Yeah. And I thought, oh, like, <laughs> why? Like, you know, I, yeah? Mm. Like, it is just, it's almost like the camera move is supposed to give you the life and vibrancy that the film itself can't. 
Right. Yeah, and it's important to say, I think, that this film is not like other Paul Greengrass films. So I've not seen all of his films, but the style that he became known for, and actually, for a while, changed cinema with mm. the intensified continuity that he showed in the last yeah, two yeah. Bourne films and in United 93 and Captain Phillips as well. You know, shaky cameras, um, rapid cutting, snatching shots here and there. You know, that's not what's going on here. I mean, that's why... I th- I th- and it's proof that he doesn't know. Doesn't know... You know how to do anything, any, else. how to do it any other way. Because yeah. <laughs> when he tried to in this one, it's like dull and flat, and yeah, you know, absolutely. So, um, and that's one of the reasons that it's so disappointing. Because you know, one of the reasons it was so exciting to have this Paul Greengrass western was, oh, great, bringing that style to a western. Yes, and no, the opposite, or find a style mm. to do the western in a new way. But no, he kind of returns actually to almost quite an old-fashioned way of doing a western but he doesn't quite know how to do it yeah and that's why i say it's like an impression of 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 a western and why it's not even as good as james mangold who does impressions of westerns Mm. (laughs) (laughs) all right shall we wrap it up yeah 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 so uh not recommended no i wouldn't bother with this one to be honest All right. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye bye.